1: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at VisitspaceCoast.com.
2: Welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the news. Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, also known as Meners, and joining me on this week's edition of the show have Steve Wilson from the Digital Sports Department. How are you, Steve?
3: I'm doing very well. Uh, A a trip to the hospital this morning, but uh, I've taken enough painkillers to push on through my debut, and I'm looking forward to it.
2: Listeners may have noticed Steve's English accent. There are those painkillers to ward off the pain of this Ashes series.
3: Well, that's it, yeah. The more and more I look into it, the more I think that could be needed, but I'm sure we'll get on to the, the breakdown of the two teams there, but uh, yeah, definitely going in as second favourites into this particular tour, but uh, underdogs sometimes have their day manners.
2: That's right. Now the other panellist joining the show for the first time is News Corp editor and one of my old friends, James McSmith, how are you, Macca?
1: Very well, manners, and it's a pleasure to be here today, mate. Thanks for having me.
2: You're a former sports writer, so it's great to have you on the show. Uh, you were on the Australian Cricket Podcast for many years, and uh, listeners can't see, but you're sporting a Movember moustache, which is absolutely <laughs> shocking, so I'm no, doing... we won't be putting any photos of you on this podcast. I'm doing my
1: best, mate. I actually might um, grab some of those painkillers from Steve a little later, because the more the closer this Asher series gets, man, is the more worried I'm getting about what might happen.
2: Well, I'm not worried at all, and in this show, we're going to go through all the issues and the news swirling around the cricket world. Uh, I've got an interview with John Etheridge from The Sun. He gives a Ben Stokes update. We've got a return of the commentary critique segment. We've got the cricket headlines, and I've also got an interview with uh, T20 star Jason Berendorf. But before we get into all that, uh, let's set the scene for what will be a huge summer of cricket. Now, pundits are predicting that this Ashes will be as close as 2005, but I think Australia really have to regain the Ashes, and if they don't, these are the people's jobs that are on the line. You've got James Sutherland, Pat Howard, Darren Lehman, Steve Smith, Trevor Holmes, Mark Waugh, Greg Chappell, and board leader David Peaver. Now, if we're unsuccessful in regaining the Ashes, I'm going to conduct a review of every one of these positions <laughs> on the podcast. Stephen and Macca, will you help me with this review? Oh, Maz, I'll speak first because
1: it seems Steve doesn't think this is going to happen. But if I was those blokes, I'd, start be, I'd be starting putting my, together my CV right now because I think England are, are a really good chance – of knocking us over on our home soil. That's going to shock
2: a lot of people. Well, uh, Shane Warne, who's now writing for the News Corp stable of newspapers, has said that Australia looks confused. Now, from an English point of view, Steve, do you think we look confused picking keepers that aren't even in the Sheffield Shield?
3: Absolutely, and and the the main point is that completely unnecessarily so Australia were going into this uh, uh, series with a massive position of strength I think the bowling attack is unquestionably stronger I personally think the batting lineup is stronger and you've got home conditions it's all in Australia's favor and then out of nowhere the selectors go and inject these variables and this confusion and, and this unnecessary worry into the, te- the, the the arena because of these bizarre choices I mean Bancroft for Renshaw look, I can live with that. You know, I'm a fan of Renshaw. I think he probably had done enough in his test to stay in there, but you can see that as a positive change. But the other two big calls, I mean, Payne coming in when he doesn't keep for uh, Tasmania, that's manna for heaven for England. They can look at that and go, right, they haven't got a wicketkeeper. They're having to scratch around for it. This is our chance to sort of get on top and have a go at him.
2: Macca, what was your reaction to the selection announcement last week? You're a big fan of seeing Shaw Marsh back in and <laughs> Tim Payne <laughs> called up from first grade cricket.
1: Man, can I remind you that when... When Sean Marsh made his Test debut eons ago, in and out of the side a million times, since you predicted Sean Marsh to score six thousand Test runs, a la Michael Edward, Colleen Hussey, didn't you? Maybe. So I think it was five thousand. I know it was six. So if he scores a thousand in each Test ining, match innings, or at the Gabba, he'll, he'll probably roll into Adelaide as well. You might be right. Oh, mate, I just think I've got to go this, Steve. I think we, we are. We look unsure of ourselves, and I, but I think. That manifests itself when guys, you know, in years gone by that all the former players had line up to take pot shots at England, obviously Warney would, McGrath would, but now it seems as though these guys are perhaps reading a bit of writing on the wall or gauging the, the waters and thinking, you know, England are a big chance. And Warnie hasn't come out and sledge. He's, you know, played a pretty straight bat, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, and... You know, Darren Lehman came out recently and said he thinks you know he wants all the ex-players to get behind Australia now and stop uh, criticizing. But I think when Lehman does that, it comes across as a bit pathetic. There's nothing worse than seeing the national coach trying to sort of get support from the public. I mean, you should either shut, ignore all that stuff. You know, don't even give it attention. But for Lehman asking us all to get behind the Aussie camp, it it's, yeah, it just rubs me up the wrong way.
3: It's it's just another indication of, of muddled thinking and confusion and not having. It- uh, maybe like Australian teams in the past have a sort of identity and a process and confidence in themselves. Yeah, like you say, if, if, you know, if he thinks these selections are the right selections and he's been in a room and been part of that uh, process, just stick with it and back yourself and then you know, go and win 5-0, 4-1, whatever, and then tell people to shut up after that. Don't be pleading for people to get on board uh, uh, when you've dropped these bombshells that, that no one saw coming.
1: Well, man, I think that's a great point. That you know, and you point to these guys, Sutherland, Howard, Lehman, Smith,
2: performance review coming on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) unofficial performance (laughs) review
1: you know these are the guys that are, are charged with helping this team find its identity and I don't think we have really found an identity under Liam or Smith yet have we I think, you know, Michael Clark's come out today and, and said to Smith, he needs to find an identity himself. He needs to find this team's identity. I think he's on the money there.
2: Yeah, look, I think he is. But with these three selections in detail, I think Cameron Bancroft, he comes in, he's 25 years old. He's played 66 first-class matches and averaging under 40. So despite his form line this season, uh, he's still got a lot to prove. Sean Marsh, 23 tests over 20 years. Average 36 with four centuries again mediocre stats and finally Tim Payne well he has played four tests and he did look good averaging 36 the same as Sean Marsh with 250 so I guess when I spoke to Ben Horn the leading cricket writer for Uh, The Daily Telegraph, he said that if you just put the emotion aside, Payne v Neville, we probably won't get a huge amount of difference in the output during the series, that Payne will probably come through okay with the bat and look okay with the gloves. But my worry is for both Payne and Sean Marsh is that I don't think they're going to make it through five tests. Marsh is always getting injured. Payne hasn't kept consistently for the last few years. So how is he going to stand up to a five-test series? So potentially this series could be on the line in Boxing Day and you'll have Pete Neville being called up and a new batsman being brought in. So, yeah, funny stuff.
3: I think ben 's absolutely right that you 're not going to get much difference in performance between Neville and Payne, so why not go with neville? Why not go with the one who's sort of more reliable? There would be less fuss over it there would be less sort of conjecture and worry and stick with maxwell again the, the Their thinking was. We've got three shield games, you know, go out and perform, knock the door down. Bancroft did that. No one did that in the other two positions. So if that's your thinking, then you stick with the incumbents. Maxwell hasn't done anything particularly wrong. Neville harshly dropped in the first instance. So when Wade uh, does perform, does drop off, he's the next person to step in. And if those two decisions are made, then all we're talking about is Bancroft for Renshaw. And you can spin that as a, you know, let's get off and add him. Renshaw's done nothing wrong, but a slight drop in form and someone knocking on the door. And, you know, that's the uh, standards we set in Australian cricket. Because you
1: haven't done that, everyone's just having their say, and there's confusion. Menace, do you think that is part of this muddled thinking as well? Speaking to you, Steve, that okay, well, you say okay, we well, got you're to... not talking to me, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to both of you, but you know, like I guess I'm trying to get the English perspective for once on the show. I know we don't like that, but we'll just do it today. <laughs> but trying to think what's this line of thinking between these guys who are sitting down on the panel, and you're saying okay, well. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. We should have never dropped Peter Neville. We don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to go back to that. Then if that's your thinking, that's your thinking through all your selections. And why do you go back to Sean Marsh? I just, I just, this is another one that I have a problem with. That, it, that it, 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 it's just, it's not. It, it seems There's like There's no logic. Well, mate, it seems no. like you know when you go when you go to the supermarket and, you, and you're there to buy a loaf of bread and some milk, and on the way out there you've got M and M's at half price, and you know it's that impulse buying. And you don't want them. You're not going to eat them. But you just make up this these decisions on the spot, mate. That's what it seems to me.
3: That's, that's quite right. It's like what's the plan? That's the mm. question. When when that team drops, look that team that's been picked compared to the team that, you know, if if the three of us put down our 11 uh, and then put it against that one and said, how confident are you of each of these four teams or how many teams we come up with uh, winning at the Gabba, we'd all say pretty confident with all four of them. But it's just this unnecessary sort of chopping and changing and contradicting themselves. Our history count and experience counts. No, we want the young kids to do it.
2: But it it leads to frustration in the supporters and and listeners and pundits and fans like me that love the Australian cricket team. You want to be able. To have some reasoning behind the selection be to me, go okay. That guy deserves to be there, and that's the best keeper we've got. So he's you know he deserves to be there. But I don't think it is at the moment. But let's move on now because the Gabba test starts this week. It is nicknamed the Gabbaroir for a reason. I, Australia- think, I think Crash Craddock gave it that name originally, didn't he? One of so, News Corp's finest. A so nod to him. <laughs> So at the Gabba, Australia have played 59 tests with 137 and only ever lost eight test matches there. The one famous tied t- test there, 13 draws. The last time England won at the Gabba was way back in 1986. Ian Botham scored 138. To give you an idea of how long ago it was, Tim Zura was batting three for Australia. Greg Fat Cat Ritchie was batting six. Steve Waugh batted eight and made a duck in the first innings. So that was the last time Australia lost at the Gabba. It must be very intimidating for the English players to, to rock up to the Gabba, knowing that they have such a bad record there.
3: Absolutely. I mean, you're standing out in the middle of it for waiting for that first ball. I mean, we've seen in recent times the horror shows that's happened there. You know, we have to think of Steve Harmison and, and the luckless Simon Jones. Things go wrong for England uh, at
2: the GABA. Um, NASA saying sending Australia yeah. in on a belt. <laughs> a cloudless sky, yeah. The, good the, memories. The, 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 <laughs> cheering up. Well, that talk of selections got me down, but now. Yeah, I so, feel a bit better now. Those yeah. Stats. Bring on Thursday.
3: So there are legitimate sort of functional reasons why Australia do well there. You know, it's a pitch they used to. It's like the, the bounciest, uh, quickest pitch in, in the land now, since the WAC has sort of changed a little bit. Um, you know, the cauldron, the fans, all these sorts of things. So these, these, it's all stacked against the visiting team, particularly England, and teams who aren't used to that deck. But then you also have this mythology where it builds upon itself and it feeds upon itself, and you know, as soon as something starts to go wrong there, it goes very wrong very quickly. So yeah, it must be terrifying going
1: out there. Well, of course, we'll go back a few years though, Menons, when Alistair Cook batted us out of the game up there. So they're not it's not that, you know, Well if they get foreign, a draw yeah. out of the Absolutely. game exactly. England can
2: go in and do what they do. I think they were one yep. for five hundred in their second mm, innings yep. in two thousand and ten. So if they can do something like that, then psychologically it'll be a big boost. But one of the big battles I see starting this Thursday and a battle that will probably play out over the next few years, is the battle between two young captains, Steve Smith and Joe Root an intriguing battle of two very strong figures, two very talented batsmen, two winners. That's the thing, they're two winners. It's not like Steve Waugh used to play Nasser saying, one was a winner, one was a loser. You can pick which one I mean. (laughs) But in this case, it's two winners going head-to-head. Steve Smith has played 23 tests. He's had 12 wins, eight losses, and three draws. So he's really had a checkered start to his captaincy career. Smith, whereas Root, he started pretty well last summer. Seven tests, five wins, two losses. Obviously lost a famous game to the West Indies, but really both of these captains have so much to prove, and whoever holds the urn aloft really gets a massive boost for their career and psychologically over the other one for the future.
3: Well, the, the pressure is, is more on Root uh, coming into this purely because he's... Really? Because uh, if we just, lose... Sorry, yeah, I don't mean pressure as much as... Yeah, he, he's the new captain. Well, he can lose this series and it won't affect his standing as a captain. But I mean in terms of winning the series, like he's got less in his arsenal to work with. You know, Steve Smith's got this incredible pace attack that you know he can turn to when he needs to. And he's got Warner and he's got his, obviously his own uh, talent there. So it, it's a more difficult assignment for Root. But like you're absolutely right. They're both very, very impressive operators are both quality batsmen and they're both very sort of calm characters Root's been good since he's come in uh, he's had to manage a very difficult thing that Jimmy Anderson when he made his uh, debut Root was 11 years old Root had pictures of Jimmy Anderson on his wall uh, when he was growing up as a kid and now he's marshalling these players but one thing that they've done very well with England is the transition from Anderson uh, to Root there's been no friction in that at all the senior players all sort of chip in and give him a lot of help and that's because of his character he looks like a you know, a 13-year-old boy or this sort of choir boy, 13-year-old
2: girl. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, but he's got a very sort of steely uh, uh, approach, and he's got an incredible cricket brain, and so and obviously his batting is is, is almost peerless. So. He has a lot of respect within that team, and so he, he can command that respect. And But it's a difficult assignment coming here as your first spin-out as captain in Australia with an England team who aren't you know, one of the better ones to come here. So it's going to be tough for him. Smith just has the weight of expectation, but rather be in that
2: position, to be honest. Mackay, how do you think Smudge is going to do this season, Steve Smith? I want
1: to ask you, are we going to see a captain very, very, very grumpy? from Steve Smith because I think we need to. I think he's got to, you know, you, you go back to, I think, the 89 Ashes series in England when Border said, you know, we're not going to talk to these blokes. They're not our mates. We're not going to talk to them. We're going to... I want to see the mot- Steve yeah. or steal. Well, That's what I want I to think say. It, from I think, we, I think we have like from the rock. opening ball, you know, from from the get-go and, you know, you've heard Mitchell Stark come out and, and, and um, Mitchell Johnson. They're all sort of talking, and, and Warner as well, about how there's going to be some sledging. And it's not personal. It, it, I think it's part of the game. I know some people don't like it, but I think Australia really have to take a really hard edge. And Steve Smith's got to lead that way. So I'm hoping that is... But what know, I want to see go. from
2: Smith is when Australia has a bad session, when the bowlers maybe aren't putting it where he wants, where catches are might go down, he shows no emotion and actually conveys that. Just like Border used to. Yeah, or Steve Ward, Taylor. He's pissed
1: off when, he's upset when things aren't
2: going well but he's not throwing stuff on the ground no. and blowing up like he was last summer. No. He's got to be calm and collected and share that with the rest of the team. But what, what and he hasn't done that sorry
3: to cut in. He hasn't really done that today no, like you or. say. I mean he, he would be a great person to play poker against because he mm. you know, he gives away his tells when he's when he's not happy there. So you're absolutely right that he needs to pull that in for the for the good of the team.
2: Now with the batting lineup for Australia, everyone's talking about Australia's much vaunted pace attack, but we have four batsmen that have made test hundreds at the Gabba Warner Smith, Kawaja, and Hanscom have all done well there. But I think for me, David Warner is the one to watch in this test match. He averages over 50 at the Gabba, he scored two test centuries in his last two tests, so he's looking good. If he can get on top of England, psychologically, it'll be a hammer blow to the English psyche.
1: Well, I think, well, I think, man, is this is a ground that they can't, if, if Warner does get going, they can't rein him in. Even if they try and hold up one end with a spinner, I just think it, there's too much bounce. There's bounce, too much pace. I just don't know what they can do to stop Dave Warnes. I think if he gets, you know, going, there's not much they can do. And I think for Usman Khawaj as well, obviously he's got weaknesses against the spinning ball, but I think the, he's played a lot of cricket at the Gabba. I think those two could really... To prove now
2: after well, he does, his recent
1: mate. dumping. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I just think that if those two can get going, but like I've said earlier, man, I, I don't want to play... Well, I do want to play devil's advocate because I want to get you upset and I want to make Steve feel a bit better. But I, I just think that it, this could be a real ambush for England this game. They could really get us on the hop. We're, we're the Collapso Kings recently. You, you, every test match, we love a good batting collapse. And I think if they get us here, and like I said, even if they get away with a draw, we head to Adelaide on a, on a conditions that are going to suit England. And imagine, imagine we're
2: under pressure. We're
1: one or two down.
2: Oh, well, it would be a nightmare. And England mm. hold the Ashes, so you know, they're effectively half oh, a game okay. ahead.
3: No, but I think you're absolutely right about Warner. Uh, it's not a two-man uh, batting attack for Australia. Like You talk about Khawaj has got a, an average of 60-plus at home. Uh, Hanscom's got a test average of 50-something, hasn't he? So it's, it's not like there's absolutely nothing but, uh, beneath them. But it's not the negative, it's the positive. If Warner actually gets on top of these England bowlers, gets through that first hour where maybe the ball's doing a little bit and it goes uh, flat, if they can punish England and keep uh, Anderson and Broad busy and get them tired... Our secondary sort of uh, pace bowlers aren't really all that good, and he can really, really turn the screw. And not only will that help them win the game, the psychological impact of that is immense. And I'm personally thinking David Warner. If David Warner has a good series, this series, Australia win.
1: Is there still a bit of bad blood between Warner and Root? given their little dust up. I'm sure they're not mates. No. uh, And I I think, um, I'm hoping that sort of comes out in this series. I mean, I think, you know, we all talk about, you know, we don't want Sledging to become personal, but we we want these teams not to like each other, you know, and when that comes (laughs) out in football or something, we like that. So I'm thinking that that needs to come out for a good series as well. Now, I just guess... not in the podcast scenario, right? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mind,
3: yeah, no, Steve. I wouldn't say I like you. I'm going to but... look in your eyes and find something to hate. That's what yeah. I'm going to yeah. do, yeah.
2: A couple more of these podcasts. and uh, Anyway, just the last thing on the preview of the Gabba is talking about Australia's pace attack. And this is the first time Cummins, Stark, and Hazelwood have played together and played in Australia. That is a fearsome attack. Cummins has played five tests, Stark 36 and Hazelwood 31. But for them never to play together, is obviously been frustrating run of injuries. Now they're together. If they stay fit, they could be the decisive factor in this summer.
3: Absolutely. I mean, all the press uh, back home in the UK about these three is almost willing one of them to break down, really. So you know, read them between the lines. Oh, yeah. Can they go through five matches together? That sort of thing. That seems to be the only way to stop them. There's real pace. There's
2: real venom. We'll see them flicking balls towards the Aussies (laughs) warming up a la Glenn (laughs) McGrath, 2005.
1: But, 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 Matt, you've got to think that Cummins is a chance of breaking down. And
2: I don't mean to single him out. I know that's... But two of the three would be just as devastating. I mean, we only Mm -hmm. need two of the three, I think, so... Absolutely.
3: I mean, a lot of the focus, obviously, and rightly, is on the pace of Cummins and Stark because what he's been doing in the Shield in the uh, last couple of weeks, the form he's in. I personally have been in this country four years and watched an awful lot of cricket down here. The the one bowler of the three of them that oppresses me most and impresses me every single time I watch him is Hazelwood. I know he gets a lot of praise and he's, he's, he's a valued member of the team, but I still think he doesn't get the raps that he deserves. He's a, a fantastic bowler. And in terms of particularly this first game, if he keeps his line and length and his consistency and just tangles up and strangles the England bowlers, that allows Stark and uh, Cummins to then do their short little spells and, and make the impact. And, and that's what will be decisive, I think.
1: You know, Menes is not going to say a good word about Hazelwood because he had, it was such a failed campaign to get him known as Hazelnuts, which you've given up <laughs> now, haven't you?
2: Uh, Sort of,
1: <laughs> I told you from the start. I still like it. I've got to agree. I think Hazelwood. If if you if I'm going to pick someone, I think he's going to get the most wickets of the series.
2: Now, listeners, that was our Gabba preview, and I've got an exciting announcement. And now that Cricket Unfilters has has its first giveaway. Now I have with me a l- pristine copy of the new Ashes video game. This is a PS4 edition, so if you have a PlayStation 4, I want you to enter this competition. How to enter this competition is, in response to Ian Chappell's scathing criticism of Steve Waugh, I want you to write in with your favourite Steve Waugh Ashes moment, and if you were too young for a Steve Waugh Ashes moment, you can give me your favourite ever Ashes moment. Um, So can you write into? Oz Cricket Pod, that's AUS Cricket Pod at gmail.com. That's AUS Cricket Pod at gmail.com. This competition will be running for two weeks. I'm going to put all the entries in a hat and pull them out at the end, and you'll get a brand new copy of the Fantastic Ashes cricket video game, which did keep me up very late last night, and I knew it was time to go to bed when I was four for nine against New Zealand. <laughs> and I've been playing too often, Ben.
1: As I know, what your favourite Ashes moment is? Steve Waugh's hundred at the SCG. I've got to say, mine probably is Shane Warne swinging the stump at Lords. I think it was. Oh, I just I, I yeah, I can't get that out of my head. Steve, what's yours, mate?
3: Oh, predictably, in keeping it recent, the final day at the Oval in 2005 will uh, live with me as perhaps one of my favourites. Sp- your
2: recording <laughs> just dropped out. There, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, my favourite sporting day. So weird Dave how Bell. your microphone yeah. was unplugged. We're moving on. <laughs> no, so we're gonna now, listen, to the, we've got a great, great guest now. Yesterday afternoon, I caught up with the Suns cricket reporter, John Etheridge. He has got the inside word on the English cricket camp. So take a short break, and then I will be back with John Etheridge from The Sun. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast, and I now have on the line our English correspondent from The Sun newspaper in the UK, John Etheridge. How are you, John?
4: I'm good, thanks, Andrew. Enjoying Australia very much.
2: I've done a bit of research, and you've been covering England for a long, long time. How many tours have you done in Australia?
4: This is number seven, the seven Ashes tours, plus, of course, various World Cups and that sort of thing. But uh, this is my seventh Ashes tour of the previous six. I've seen one England victory and uh, sadly five Australian wins.
2: So when was the first one?
4: Ninety-four-five. Uh, uh, I didn't do nineteen-ninety-one, uh, but I did 94-95. Mike Avittam was captain then, and I've uh, done everyone since.
2: Yeah. How were those two five-nil loss tours? How, how debilitating were they for you?
4: Uh, pretty depressing, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the most recent one four years ago, England arrived as holders of the Ashes. They'd won three-nil that summer uh, twenty. Thirteen at home in England, and uh, were full of optimism, but quickly became clear that the the team was breaking up, and obviously Mitchell Johnson created sort of terror amongst the ranks and uh, I can't remember ever an England team disintegrating quite so rapidly as that one by you know, by the end of the first match, Jonathan Trott was on his way home by the end of the third game, Graham Swan had retired from cricket, and by the end of the series, the likes of Kevin Peterson and Matt Pryor that had their England careers pretty much finished.
2: Uh, I wish I'd been doing the, the, these podcasts back then and we could have spoken. I guess this podcast, though, is going to be a little bit of a diary of the way you're feeling throughout this tour, and I guess we'll, it'll depend on how England performs on the field.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, the, the, the entire mood of any cricket tour really is dependent on results. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm a, I'm English, so I want England to win, But uh, and I think it makes our job... Uh, as reporters easier because the the, the players and the management of the team are going to be happier, they're going to be better disposed towards the media. Certainly on some tours when England have lost, there's been a bit of a siege mentality. They circle the wagon, so to speak, and uh, access and general... Uh, availability is it, it, not so uh, not so easy. So certainly I, I want England to win, and if England do win and, or certainly perform well, then my mood will be more buoyant than, than if they lose.
2: It'll sort of be the opposite for me. So one of us is going to have a good summer <laughs> and one of us isn't. A um, c- couple of questions. Now, you're from the Sun newspaper. They've had some exclusive stories in the last few months. Uh, you broke the Ben Stokes video. You also broke the story of the people that are defending him, saying he was defending them. As we record this, rumours are swirling around that Ben Stokes might be coming out here. Do you have any exclusives you want to drop on this podcast?
4: Well, uh, no, I don't. I mean, obviously, uh, it's a story that we keep on top of uh, on a daily basis. And my understanding remains that I think it's unlikely that Ben Stokes will feature at all in this Ashes series. Certainly at the moment, uh, he's sort of a sin you might you might say, by England. So he's, he's not here. Uh, yeah he's fit pretty much now he obviously in in the fight in late september in bristol in, in england he did break his hands but uh, he's back bowling and batting again in the indoor nets at home but uh, in, until the police decide what to do whether or not to charge him nothing's really going to happen now it might well be that so that decision by the police is made imminently perhaps even in the next few days in which case then the, the story will move on if he's charged then I think it's pretty much a non-starter for him coming here. If he's um, cleared and faces no charges, then it goes to an ECB, ECB disciplinary commission, which has got to sit and uh, pass judgment on, on Stokes and whether uh, his employer uh, punishes him any, you know, in, in any way. I say my understanding is, my belief all along has been really that uh, it's extremely unlikely that Stokes will be here in Australia, certainly for the Test matches. I mean, it would be a great story if he turns up. Wouldn't it be fantastic if Ben Stokes was here? But uh, I think it would be a bit of a circus as well, and every time he stepped out of his hotel, he'd be uh, uh, facing cameras and so on, all that sort of stuff. And it it would be a a bit of a distraction for the rest of the England team. But anyway, uh, at the moment, the situation is unchanged, as it has been for several weeks. The next move comes from the police in uh, Avon and Somerset in the west of England. Once they've decided what to do, then we'll have a better idea On Stokes' future, but uh, as I say, I'd be very surprised if he appears at all before the end of the fifth test.
2: Do you have any other videos of English cricket stars that you want to release prior to the Gabba? I'm thinking maybe Joe Root, you know, if Joe Root was ruled out obviously Australia would get a massive advantage.
4: (laughs) I I think... uh Joe Rudy is probably unlikely to be involved in a fight at half past two in the morning. It's not quite his style, is it? But doesn't no, have to think, be a fight.
2: Uh, it could be something else.
4: <laughs> well, it could be. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think one. One superstar player down is probably enough. I think we were pretty keen to keep Root and Broad and Cook, if we possibly can, Jimmy Anderson, likewise. So I think uh, one player missing is probably enough for for the Poms at the moment.
2: Now, let's get into the English starting 11 for the Gabba. It hasn't been announced yet, but let's sort of talk about who the possibilities are. You've got Cook opening, and then you've got, will Stoneman uh, definitely open with Cook now?
4: Yeah, Stoneman has been impressive. He's been the best batsman so far on this story. He made three or four half centuries well, three half centuries, uh, and he made a century in the most recent game in in Townsville. Looks good. He looks a good player. He looks comfortable in the environment. He, he's not a youngster. He's 30 years old. Mark Stone. He moved last year from Durham in the north of England down to Surrey, which is uh, because he play at the Oval in in London, and he's had a tremendous season with Surrey. Uh, he played three tests at the back end of the English summer against West Indies. Didn't do great, but did okay, and he just looks comfortable in the environment. He'll certainly open the batting with with Alistair Cook, and he, at the moment he looks a better player on tour than Cook. So I think uh, England are... Quietly optimistic about Stoneman's chances of getting a few runs in this series. Yeah, he looks
2: quite compact uh, in his technique. As you say, he's thirty, so you would think he would know his game by now. So I think, yeah, he's going to he's going to be one to watch. The, the next one, though, James Vince. Will he bat at three in the Ashes?
4: Yeah, he'll bat at three, which is a uh, definitely a gamble. I mean, he played. Seven test matches at home in 2016 and had a top score of 42 in seven test matches. It was almost like Groundhog Day. He's got a lovely cover drive, James Vince, a very attractive, stylish player. So he, he he whacks a couple of cover drives to the boundary and it looks great. But then he tries it one more time and he nicks off and gets caught behind or caught in the slip. So that's been his problem, really. Um, but uh, other people played for England back home in our summer. The likes of Keaton Jennings of uh, Durham, uh, Tom Wesley of Essex, and didn't do particularly well. So they've gone back to Vince very much on a hunch, really. They they think that the the bouncier pitches and the slightly less lateral movement in Australia compared with England will suit him. But it's definitely a gamble. He's looked okay in the warm-up games, but again, he's got a couple of 20s and 30s, and then got out to rather soft shots, so... definitely a risk, uh, him batting at three, and no doubt a question mark over his head.
2: Well, he had the experience last summer of playing for the Sydney Thunder, so I guess he's had some experience on the wickets down under. But it's funny you said that about his cover drive, because I thought the same thing last season, that he looked great, but he didn't score many runs. So, you know, he'll need to turn that around in this series.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's a big player. I mean, three is obviously a huge position in in any team but with England with Joe Root coming in at four Root's the best player so the longer that uh, Root is in the the pavilion not having to bat the more shine they can take off the new ball the better for England what you don't want is Joe Root coming in at 20 for two so big big responsibility on Vince's shoulders
2: now you spoke about Joe Root coming in at number four there's absolutely no doubt about his class with the bat but how's he gone with the extra pressure of captaincy
4: so far, he's done well. I mean, uh, he won five out of seven test matches at home last summer, which is a pretty good start. And he, he looks comfortable in the job. He, he, he does the media stuff pretty well and all that, all the, the sort of ancillary stuff that comes comes with being captain of your country. And uh, he's handled it well. And I think, you know, Joe Root's um, kind of a bit of a choir boy look. He's sort of slightly angelic features, a bit of a baby face, but he's got a He's got a streak of steel in him. You know, it would be wrong to underestimate Joe Root. On the on the field, he's, he's a tough competitor, not not frightened to say a few words as well. So he, you know, he's got a bit of chirp as well. So at the moment, I would say he's shaping up well in the job as captain. It doesn't appear to have affected his batting. I mean, the, 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 the sort of one disappointment about Joe Root is the, his conversion rate is poor. He's made 13 Test 100s, which is great. But about 30, 50s, he should really have at least 20 Test Match 100s. He keeps getting out in the 70s and the 80s, and that's a frustration particularly for him, but also, you know, people who watch him bat.
2: Yeah, definitely. Now, the number five will be Johnny Bairstow. Uh, how's he looking?
4: Well, I think uh, five will be David Milan, actually, the, the left-hander from Middlesex. Uh, he was born in London, but he spent most of his uh, upbringing in South Africa. He um he played five tests at home in the summer, got a couple of fairly scratchy 50s, but actually he made 100 the other day in, in Townsville made a couple of fifties as well on this tour. So he's shaping up okay, but he'll bat at five, I think. Gary Balance was the other option, but Balance hasn't played on tour at all yet. So he'll bat at five. And and Johnny Bairstow, as you say, he'll come in at number six. Normally he'd be at seven, but uh, obviously Ben Stokes is missing. So Johnny Bairstow will come in and bat at number six. Uh, He's keeping his improved a lot. You know, Johnny Bairstow played a couple of tests on the tour four years ago. Matt Pryor was dropped for the test in Melbourne and Sydney, and and Johnny looked a bit out of his depth, to be perfectly honest. But he's a much-improved player, a much more substantial character now than he was then, so I think England's particularly in the absence of Stokes, will be looking for big runs from Besto in this series
2: Yeah, well if he bats at six, and that means you've got Stoneman, Vince and Milan in the top five that looks pretty thin so they're really going to need Besto at six to come through, but then Moeen Ali comes in at seven, how's his fitness going? Is he back to, to full fitness after that slight niggle when he arrived?
4: Yeah, he missed the first couple of games as you say with, with a side strain, but uh, and he bowled a lot of overs in Townsville, but, but only batted once and was out for, for, for just five runs. So he will to go into the Test match having scored you know, five runs all tour, which is not really enough. But Moenali is a sort of um, instinctive player, a bit of a wild card, and he's a sort of guy who can have two or three low scores and then go out and blaze a hundred off eighty balls. You know, he's, he's uh, that sort of guy. He doesn't need particularly to, to have batted you know, for hours and hours before. Entering a test match, so he he's a sort of a free spirit, a bit of a wild card. so again, very important player for for England. The Aussie batsman will no doubt try and attack his bowling. Which would put more pressure on the England seamers. So I think uh, he's a pivotal player, at the moment, Ali, Bat number seven, ball his off breaks. Hopefully he'll make a big contribution. But you know, he's a at his best. He's magnificent to watch. He's stylish. He's languid. He you know, almost reminds you of David Gower at his best. You know, going back twenty or thirty years. But then he can be exasperating. He can play a bit of a daft shot and 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 throw his wicket away. So. You're never quite sure what you're going to get with Alley, but uh, there's usually an excitement involved.
2: He got a few wickets over the English summer, and my worry is that the Australian batsmen will not give him the respect that he deserves and might give their wickets away. Whereas they might be better off just milking him.
4: Yeah, well, that's that, 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 that's a possibility. I mean, he took more than thirty wickets at home uh, in our summer, including a hat trick. He took a hat trick against South Africa at the Oval, which was which was nice. So yeah, I mean, he's you know he's he's um, taken more than hundred Test wickets now. Uh, And averages about 35 with the bat as well. So it is a pretty impressive all round package.
2: Now, the English attack of Anderson, Broad and Wokes seems pretty settled. Who will be the sort of fourth seamer you think they'll draft in?
4: That's a good point. I think there's only one place really where there's any doubt or debate as to who's going to play, that's it'll be the number nine slot. It's either Craig Overton uh, from Somerset or Jake Ball from Nottinghamshire. Now Ball sprained his ankle in Adelaide a week or two ago, and he looked like he was going to be out for. Maybe several weeks. He was walking around on crutches until about five days ago. He had one of these big surgical boots on his on his right leg. But uh, he's made a pretty dramatic recovery the last few days. He's been bowling flat out in the nets. He bowled fifteen overs in the nets yesterday in in three separate spells. He was fielding as well as as, tr- as sort of substitute to get some overs into his leg. So he is now fit, uh, uh, and I suspect he'll probably play ahead of Overton. Overton bowls, he bowled quite nicely on this tour, actually, but he, he's meant to be a bit of a batsman as well, an all-rounder, but he's had three innings and been out for North three times, faced a grand total of 13 balls. So his, his batting has been a, a bit of a disaster, to be honest. So I think they'd go for the better bowler, which is Ball, and uh, I'd expect him to, to slot in at, at number nine as fourth seamer, supporting Anderson, Broad and Wokes.
2: That well, sounds like a pretty handy side that England have. What's your prediction for the Gabba test?
4: Well, Australia haven't lost to the Gabba for 30-odd years. I mean, I think the series could depend a lot on, on the fitness of the Australian quicks. They've got more, much more pace in their attack than England, uh, but obviously with Stark and Cummins in particular. So, I, I, you know, history would say that, so, as far as the Gabba's concerned, you would have to fancy England. So if England can get away with you know any sort of result there, even a draw which is probably unlikely unless there's a lot of rain interruptions. But uh, if England can come away from the Gabba with anything, that will be a major bonus. So uh, if you're asking for a prediction, you'd have to say that Australia would probably win the first test.
2: Well, John, thank you so much for your time and coming on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Before I let you go, I just need to ask you one thing. Uh, You know, I listen to a lot of English uh, press and radio, and they often paint a picture of Australian fans being really nasty and giving it to even your women's Ashes teams that are out here. But I don't think that Australian fans are really much worse than English fans when you when you go to both grounds. Apart from maybe Lords in England, where they're very polite, most grounds in England are about the same as Australia. If you're fielding on the boundary, you're going to cop it. So I think our fans get painted poorly sometimes by the English media.
4: Well, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think there will be twenty five, thirty thousand England fans over. Most of them are sort of. Uh in the battalions of the Barmy Army, and, and and they've got some songs lined up, I gather, for, for Steve Smith and, uh, and other people, so that'll be interesting to see what the, what the Barmy, Barmy Army come up with. I mean, I think what you want is, is humour, don't you? I mean, you don't so want out-and-out abuse, you know, for, for for the players from the terraces and the stands, but as long as there's humour involved, I think that's fine. So, hopefully, there'll be some good-natured banter and humour flying around, and, uh, We'll have a a fun series.
2: I agree. And we're going to have a fun time on this podcast throughout the Ashes. So thanks for your time today. We'll catch up again during the summer.
4: Look forward to it. Cheers, Andrew.
1: Yeah, it's a great feeling. Uh, one of a little bit of relief, um, but one of real excitement as well, particularly for our team. You know, you think back to earlier this year, it's just utter disappointment in the change room when we lost that semi-final at the World Cup. So to come out and play the way we have throughout this series, I think it's it's been fantastic and, yeah, I'm just really proud of the team. I think they've done a, a great job.
2: Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Steve and Maka, and we now have the Week in Cricket Headlines brought to you by Sydney's Daily Telegraph. Now, the voice we just heard was of Australia's women's skipper, Rachel Haynes, after they retained the Ashes at North Sydney Oval last Friday night. Great occasion out at North Sydney Oval, big crowd. Australia smashed England to retain the Ashes. And an all-round good night, Beth Mooney, 86 not out of 56 balls, led the charge and the world champion English team leave without the ashes Steve?
3: Yeah we could still leave with a draw though couldn't we and, 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 and in many ways the moral victory from that yeah no they, they, they've been outplayed over here From my money uh, England have only got themselves to blame in the way that they approached the uh, single test that was there it was just around the corner from where I live and got to get up there a couple of times fantastic atmosphere and some pretty ordinary cricket largely, you didn't tell didn't you? me you were there I was yeah. there. why didn't you tell was, me you were there we could caught I was, up I was hiding in the corner
2: around yeah, the yeah, <laughs> there yeah. he England. saw you don't <laughs> want to say
3: <laughs> me he saw you but yeah the, the, the cricket wasn't all the best because of maybe how England approached that game and because of the wicket but obviously we got to see uh, Perry's double tongue which, which was just something special um, yeah Australia have deserved this to retain the ashes um, uh, but yeah we'll have to wait until it goes back up north again and see if we can get
2: it back off Look, I've been accused of being lots of things, and maybe one of them is un- <laughs> unsympathetic. And I was particularly unsympathetic after the game when I saw the English skipper Heather Knight being oh, particularly gosh. teary. I mean, she was crying at the press conference. She was crying afterwards. You're a hard now, man. Actually, I don't want to make light of it, but it was i, I not I wouldn't say that there's a lot of sympathy. She was but crying when she couldn't find her car keys. Is that what you're saying? No, she was. No, she, what I'm saying is she really lo- passionate about her team and winning for England and soul destroying loss and i hope it's not the first english skipper i hope it's not the last english skipper to be we'll crying we'll this summer. well, plenty of skippers are less these shores. now the next in their hands, the, the next big headline is coming out of perth now that the perth stadium will be ready by the end of january for a one day international between england and australia so that ground will be unveiled for international cricket this summer. obviously not in time for the perth test but ready for a one day up. And the last headline of the week, and this is a headline I'm generating, is that Australian fans are all right. But whenever English come over here, they start this witch hunt against Australian fans. Oh, we're so mean, and we give it to the English players on the field. Our fans are no worse than fans anywhere else in the world, and I hate it that we get labelled with this you know, labelled as being the worst fans when we're not English fans are just as bad. Well, it's us, Steve. If he gets, if
3: he gets
1: well, yeah, when he walks down the street, just because of his accent.
3: Well, I have, I have two sort of ways of coming up this one. will sort of largely agree with you that I've, you know, before I moved over, over here, I used to go as, as a punter and, and work in and, and you're absolutely right that, that they're not uh, libraries and, and sort of convent school atmospheres in English cricket grounds. There's some pretty uh, robust opinions being shared between fans and Australian players as they're coming. No up. better than Australian yeah, fans. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so that happens a lot, and you know, the similar, there's more that unites us than divides us. The English and the Australians, particularly when it comes to uh, follow, nice, following nice following, <laughs> following yeah. our team, the eve of an Ashes. <laughs> I will, I will uh, sort of qualify that though by saying I, I don't know if you've ever been to the, uh, the the Gabba, where the press box is. The bay that that particular uh, area looks down into uh, is like looking into a certain part of a dark soul of uh, <laughs> humanity <laughs> of Australian fandom. So the, I can see why someone visiting might come away with that impression from certain quarters, but you're absolutely... They're, they're right. not even drinking full-strength
2: beer either, so... <laughs> well, Mac, have you got anything in defence of Australian I, I, fans? Because you've been to sport all around the world. There is no way Australian I, fans are I, any I, worse I, than anywhere no, else. No, I agree with you 100%. And it's, it's just a media beat-up from the English well, I think press it, I think, corps. It's all part of the theatre, it's yes, all right, part yeah. of it,
1: isn't it? But, I, I, you know, I've heard Kevin... I'm standing Pe- up for us. <laughs> but I'll, I've heard Kevin Peterson talk about it, and how he he said, you know, when he's been out here, he's got... He was Ab- the most unlikable character. I know, and he wasn't even... Him in English. Well, he wasn't even English, but you know, like that he got hammered everywhere he went, went everywhere he went, everyone wanted to give it to KP. He couldn't even sit down for breakfast in the hotel without someone giving it to him. And I just think it's it's great that the Ashes are such a part of the culture and everyone wants to join in well, and his teammates it. giving it to him at <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, so that's the week in headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph. I'm defending Australian fans. Get out there and support our team and have a good time. But now to one of my favourite segments, and it's making its debut on Cricket Unfiltered, is the commentary critique segment. Now that the coverage of the Ashes is starting and it's already kicked off, already Channel 9 are on the back foot. They tweeted out a photo of their commentary team for the summer and basically it was all white men. They've been criticised for having no females, no diversity. What do you two think?
3: No that is a shame. I mean it's, it's 2017 It's and the 1950s yeah, yeah. Yeah and you you would hope that they would be able to uh, you know we've talked about the women's ashes that's just been on that's been or continues to be on that's been a, a success and loads of people have uh, I've gotten behind and you know if you're telling me you can't find someone who can talk knowledgeably uh, about the game who happens to wear a skirt or has different chromosomes then uh, I'd be massively surprised in slight defence or minor defence of that pretty much all of the guys who are in that lineup of white men in suits one guy wearing a hat so there is a bit of diversity they're all people who have merit to be there they're all you know former players who sort of know what they're talking about so it's except the one Englishman on the panel Mark Nicholas mm. but he he, he knits it all together. He's, he's these the calm in the centre of it all that gives it that sort of professional that's one, that's
1: one way of putting it. I don't think we've ever put it that way. Menace, menace, I just think you, you look at it and it looks to me like a photo of the Malcolm Turnbull ministry. You've got you know, <laughs> Scott Morrison, Peter Dutton Turnbull. They're all lined up. You know, the white men in blue suits. It, it, it's just... Strange it, politics. For, yeah, for anything less, anything other, it's just tone deaf. It's just yes. totally off. You know, they they haven't tested the waters. I mean, you, you, why can't they? You know, surely there's a, a female out there's there There's a couple
2: hoop. of great ones that work for Channel 9 regularly. Lisa Stelanker well, and Mel yeah. Jones yeah, are, are often they, on they their, come, their Channel 9 broadcasts of women's cricket. They come cricket. to mind straight away. So
1: but it's a bit disappointing. And, you know, I I, I know Bill Laurie's a great at great the commentary box, but he's, I think it's fair to say he's lost his touch.
2: He's out of form. Yeah, yeah. He's probably lost his... And uh, I know they're doing the a favour for him, but... Yeah, look, I agree with all that. And I just point back to earlier this year, we had the Women's World Cup where they had a very diverse. Range of commentators, male and females, and it was a really good listen. And then that ended, and they sort of went into the Champions Trophy. This was all in the English summer, and that was an all male commentary box. And immediately it stuck out to me that I missed the diversity of opinions and views that females bring to the commentary box. So I think Channel 9 are actually really hurting their product with this stance. And you know, it's too late, they've tweeted out this photo, the backlash is there. I think they're going to have a rough summer covering the cricket. I think they're really going to be up against them. Um, and more than anything, it's it, with
3: what it breeds is this real chummy, boysy kind of matesy commentary where, you know, in, in – down parts of the game, you, they go off into avenues talking about when Tubby was on a karaoke tour and wherever. And it's a story that you've either heard 10 times before or just not interested in the tour or both. It, it would serve their product better. It's not about being politically, politically correct, it's just about giving some depth to it and, and changing the tone. Uh, Perceptions are important.
2: Well,
1: I still love, it. I still really enjoy their commentary. I know they cop a lot of grief, but I still really enjoy it. But uh, yeah, I, I think they should be evolving. More of the times, yeah.
2: Now, there's some more competition going on on our airwaves this year. I've actually written something about this on news.com.au that three radio stations are covering the cricket this summer. You've got, obviously, ABC, the traditional uh, broadcasters. Then you've got the Macquarie Radio Network that are on a series of stations around Australia. And then you've got Triple M, the... FM network that are covering the cricket for the second season and i think there's sort of there must be quite a stiff competition between the three of them because there's only a sort of finite amount of people listening to the cricket and they're all probably trying to compete for that same market it's wondering i'm wondering who's going to sort of survive the summer
1: i think the abc's already if it hasn't started to be squeezed out it's starting to get
2: squeezed out. I think, you know, that they're... Can you see summer where ABC doesn't cover the cricket?
1: Well, mate, I mean, they just cover everything. I was listening to the radio on the weekend, and they, I can't remember what it was, but they, the ABC cover absolutely everything. There goes your tax dollars, but yeah, they, they pay absolutely everything. So, yeah, I don't know if you pay tax here, Steve, so I don't know if you care. But <laughs> Believe um, me, I do. Oh, okay, yeah. But man, it's, honestly, I like I, the Macquarie Network. You should mention, that
2: is fantastic. Triple M yeah. sort of waivers. It can be
3: too much. It's, you've got the same problem with Triple M I think to a degree as, as you have with Nine, the problems we were just talking about, uh, Nine with the sort of matey, blokesy sort of thing. I mean, to be honest, any network that's got James Brayshaw front and centre is not Going to get me tuning in uh, to the <laughs> dial, but the Macquarie Radio Network, which I have to confess I've not sort of listened to previously, they've got an impressive roster there, and it's definitely worth a listen. I think
2: Chapel Fleming McGrath. Hussey. so this summer for the commentary critique segment, everyone starts from the beginning. We're going to judge everybody, so I want you to during the summer hashtag CC segment on Twitter if you're on Twitter and leave your feedback. So hashtag CC segment. And, Lee, give me your feedback about the radio or the cricket commentary, and it's going to be a regular feature throughout the summer. All right, now I was lucky enough earlier in the week to speak to one of Australia's best T20 fast bowlers, a star for Western Australia. He just took four wickets in an international game against India for Australia in a T20 game. He's a great player, Jason Berendorf, big bash star. So I'm going to take a short break, and then I'll be back with Jason Berendorf
1: got him there it is so Berendorf breaks through straight away pays a little price but bounces
4: back brilliantly
2: welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered the News Corp cricket podcast I now have on the line West Australian Perth Scorchers and now Australian T20 star Jason Berendorf how are you Jason good thanks how are you yeah really good thanks for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast I really appreciate it First question, you made your debut for Australia in the recent T20 series. How was it pulling on the Aussie cap for the first time?
0: Uh, as, as cliche as it sounds, it was a, a, a very memorable and life-changing experience, something that uh, I've worked so hard for, for for quite a long time now. And, and to put that Aussie cap on and also to have it presented to me by a good friend of mine, Brad Hogg, was, was really special and something that I'll never forget.
2: Yeah, there's no animosity with Hoggy since he left the Scorchers.
0: Uh, he's okay. That's it's part and parcel of business these days. Guys move around a lot, um, especially in the Big Bash, with the competition the way it is. So uh that's, that's okay. And it was disappointing from a Scorchers' point of view not to have him around, but uh, it's still great to see him playing cricket.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think he'll go on forever. Um, I wanted, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to ask you: Was there some sense of relief? Uh, when you made your debut for Australia after sort of f- battling injuries and being so close for so long, was it sort of a little bit of a relief to finally get there?
0: Um, not, a, not a relief as such, just more in, I guess, excitement and enjoyment, knowing that through the injuries and through my career so far, I've worked so hard to get there. And, and now, that it's, now that I've achieved that goal of playing T20 cricket for Australia, it's, it's something that spurred me on to play more international cricket and, and to ideally play all forms for Australia. And that's something that Getting a taste of it uh, at the top level is something that, yeah, it's, it's really, like I said, spurred me on to continue to, to want to get better and better and play more international cricket.
2: I mean, you did pretty well. In your second game, you took four for 21, dismissing probably the world's best T20 batsman, Virat Kohli. How was the experience of playing in India and, you know, in front of those massive crowds and all the noise?
0: Yeah, like you said, the noise. The noise was huge. And that's something that we don't get uh, to the same extent, especially... In domestic cricket here in Australia um, and that's something that took a, a little bit to get used to uh, luckily enough I've played a couple of times in India in the past in the Champions League uh, when that competition was around and, and similar token we played the Chennai Super Kings one time and, and MS Dhoni was playing with them and the noise was huge and that came as well and he hit a, a couple of big sixes and the, the crowd erupts over there it's amazing how they can make so much noise and you can literally be trying to chat to the person who's a metre away from you and you feel like you have to scream because the noise is so deafening. And um, It can be quite intimidating as a as an opposition team coming into India, but the, the good thing about, I guess, the way we play our cricket is we look to be aggressive up front and when we can take early wickets, like I was fortunate enough to do in that game, uh, we sort of silenced the crowd a little bit, which helped us.
2: Yeah, and when you say field at fine leg on the boundary, um, are the crowds sort of friendly and nice to you in India? I mean, Australian ca- crowds get a bad rap for giving it to the opposition when they're fielding on the boundary. What are the Indians like?
0: They were fine, to be honest. They are all they they love cricket in general, so I don't think it really matters which team you play for. They love cricket. Obviously, they want the Indians to win, um, but they still have a, a genuine love for the game, and, and I felt no animosity or no... Yeah, no bad vibes from them at all. It was all positive and, and they were loving cricket and uh, it was such a great experience.
2: You mentioned that you played over in India for the, the Champions League T20, which was like where they got all the champions from the domestic T20 comps and put them in that tournament. That's now finished, which I was kind of sad about. As someone that played in the tournament, do you think something like that has value for the future if they can find a spot for it?
0: Yeah, I definitely do. Um, for us, like especially in our first couple of years, playing for the Scorchers, we've got to play against the best players in the world. So for an opportunity to do that, one, uh, is a great experience. Two, is also a great way to increase your skill set, uh, knowing that playing against guys who have played a lot of international cricket, who are at the top of their game, uh, you've got to make sure that you're on all the time and you've got to execute and, and nail your variations every time. So... That was a really, really positive tournament. Unfortunately, I think uh, the tournament was losing quite a bit of money. So that's why it was was quite hard to to fund it and keep going. But yeah, if there's something that can potentially come up like that again, I'm I'm all for it.
2: Yeah, I remember Steve Smith when he was very young, played in that tournament for maybe New South Wales even. Um, And that was sort of the first time I think he was thrust on the world stage and look at him now.
0: Yeah, exactly right. and that's the thing. I think thinking back, like you said, when, when they played, I think they might have even won the tournament. So it's something that, yeah, it's a, it's a great tournament, a great lure, I guess, for players to, to play, like the IPL in that sense, to play with and against the best players in the world. And that's where guys are going to get better and improve their games.
2: Now, speaking of the IPL, you were the only Australian squad member not to have played in the IPL when you were over there for that T20 uh, series against India. Ha- have you had any sort of inklings that maybe your your name's in the mix now after that performance?
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things. All you can do is when you uh, when you get a chance to, to take that opportunity, and, and I feel like I've I've done a good job of that, and, and hopefully that'll lead to yeah to more cricket, and and that's all that's all I can do. As as the cliche I guess is, my currency is is wickets. Um, And that's the main thing. If I keep taking wickets, then hopefully the selection will take care of itself.
2: Yeah, definitely. Now, um, Adam Gilchrist said uh, recently that he thinks you're ready for test cricket. I guess, firstly, you know, you've struggled with stress fractures of the back. How's your fitness? How's your back going? Are you ready for sort of long form cricket now?
0: Yeah, my body's going well at the moment. It's nice to have a, a, a good interrupted run. So I feel like I've, I've had a really good pre-season, as I've said to a few people in the past, uh, this season gone by, and, and that's held me in good stead for the start of the summer here. So I feel like I'm in a good place, and, and hopefully I can continue playing some really good cricket, yeah.
2: You didn't play in the first Shield match of the season, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. So it's all to do with when I went away with the Aussies for the T20s. Um, we didn't play all the, the allotment of games, and and I didn't quite get enough overs under my belt over there, and then by the time I came back and uh, getting all my bowling loads sorted, it's, it was quite a high risk from my understanding to, to play me in that game, mm. um, so that's why the, the decision was made to, to I guess, be monitored for that game and, and rest up and get ready to, to play the next one.
2: And so you're right now to play the rest of the Shield games until the Big Bash?
0: Yeah, that's the plan. So uh, it'll be an assessment game by game and, and see how my body's travelling, but yeah, I'll be doing everything I can to, to play as many games as possible, that's for sure.
2: Now, I wanted to ask, what's going on over there in the West? Because I don't know what's in the water, but you're the defending BBL champs. You've won the JLT Cup this year. It's a T20 juggernaut over there. Justin Lang is the coach. What's the magic formula that's really getting this Western Australian team to do so well?
0: I think it simply can be put down to hard work, to be honest. Since AL's come on board, we've really turned a corner and, and and done a lot of hard work on and off the field to make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to be better cricketers and better people. So that's, that's a huge credit to JL and, and also a big credit to all the guys in the squad that we've all bought into it um, and we've all made sure that we're doing everything we can, like I said, to, to get better um, and to have success. And that's what, ideally, that's what everyone everyone plays for. You play for the team success and enjoying those moments with your mates and, and winning winning trophies. And that's what you look back on your career and, and you can say, yeah, I was I was part of a great team, great era, and, and we we had lots of success, and and yeah, had a great time.
2: Yeah, and what sort of coach is Justin Langer? You know, does he sort of take you know manage the small details, or does he like to sort of leave it up to the players? What what's his role there?
0: Oh, a bit of both, to be honest. He's a he's a very good people manager, but also on the on the same token, we know now what we need to do to make sure we're getting the best out of ourselves. So, in the in the past, we had a very strong very strong structure and it was basically we're doing it this way or or not at all whereas now it's still a very strong structure but there's a lot of individual freedom in that as well so we've gained the trust of JL and and the other coaches as well um, knowing that all the players will be doing what they need to do to be get ready for the matches and a, a basic rule we've got for the squad it seems simple but it's just common sense so doing everything you need to be doing to be ready to go and and looking after yourself and making sure that yeah, come game time, come training, you're, you're 100% ready to go and, you're, yeah, you're getting the best out of yourself.
2: Yeah, how's uh, Mitch Marsh taken to the captaincy?
0: As they say, like a duck to water. He didn't go so well with the toss. He, I don't think he won a toss in his first eight games, but that didn't that didn't matter. We won all by one of the JLT games, which is obviously a great result, winning the final there as well. Great start to the season. And, yeah, he's, he's a very good leader. He has been uh, without the, the captaincy title, as well, so it's, it's great to see him transition into that role seamlessly and, and as well for him personally to get a bit of success from the team to start with is always a nice way to, to get going and yeah, it's fantastic to, to have Mitch go so well for us to, to start with.
2: How does he go bossing his big brother around?
0: <laughs> I think deep down he really enjoys it, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's one of those things. Sean's, Sean's a very good player and, and someone that uh, is very well respected in the group and yeah, it's, it's one of those things that Sos knows Mitch is the captain and um, and does whatever he needs to do to uh, uh, to help him out. But also, yeah, when, when Sos is told what to do, he gets on and does it like anyone
2: else. Yeah, I think it's a brother's nightmare, though. Uh- <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, a couple of quick questions before I let you go. Um, I'm doing a survey of first-class cricketers in this country, and I want to know, do you support the idea of Christmas Day big bash cricket?
0: No, I personally don't. I think that, yeah, Christmas Day is a special day that you can spend with your family and um, and really enjoy whatever it is you want to do. And I think we've got enough days in the year to play cricket that, yeah, we don't need to play on Christmas Day.
2: Okay, it's pretty divided so far. Um, what's your Ashes prediction for this summer? Do you, do you have a score in mind for the Aussies?
0: <laughs> well, that's uh, being an Aussie, you'd, you'd love to say 5-0, wouldn't you? That's, that's uh, what we want to work towards and make sure we're doing everything to – win every test match, so I'll say we'll, we'll win
2: the Series 5-0. Excellent prediction. Uh, you've, you've joined Glenn McGrath there with um, pretty good company. I think Australia are looking really good and these injuries to England are setting them back a little bit now. So, um, yeah, all the quicks are fit and ready to go. So it's going to be a big summer. Who have you got next in the Sheffield Shield?
0: Uh, we've actually got South Australia at home next. And then we play Queensland at home and then the Vicks are our last Shield game away before the Big Bash. So three more
2: to go. Well, best of luck for the rest of the Shield before the break. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Not a problem. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket podcast. And that's it for this week's show. Uh, Macca, enjoy the Gabba test. What's your prediction for the Gabba test? I
1: can't wait, mate. And I, man, as I've got to say, I'm not convinced, but
2: I'm hoping for an Australian win. And Steve? Thank you so much for coming on the show. What's your prediction?
3: Um, I can't really see anything beyond an Australia victory, but uh, uh, someone wants to ask, is it cowardly uh, to pray for rain? It is cowardly, but I'm going to be doing it anyway and then hoping that brings a draw.
2: (laughs) And listeners, every day this podcast will be bringing you a post-play report. I will be talking to one of the reporters at the ground, Pete Layla, Ben Horn, or even John Etheridge from The Sun, so you'll be kept well up to date with this podcast. So stay tuned for Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks again for listening. listening to the show and I'll be back next
1: week.